Turn in your Bibles to Genesis. The drunk said, turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37, here it is dramatized from the New Media Bible. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. Joseph dreamed a dream. said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the same. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock. And Israel said unto Joseph, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. And Joseph went after his brethren, 
and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him, and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. They lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. for 20 pieces of silver. And Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. to their father and said this have we found know now whether it be thy son's coat or no and he knew it and said it is my son's coat an evil beast hath devoured him and Jacob rent his clothes
to put sackcloth upon his loins. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The spice traders took him to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, an Egyptian ruler. The word Potiphar in Hebrew can also mean eunuch, which may explain why his wife was such a desperate housewife, but that's for another Sunday. In this story, Joseph is 17 years old. He's the 11th son of 12 and the favorite one. His father Jacob had four wives, Leah and Rachel, who was his favorite, and their maidens that became their maidservants, which became his wives as well, Bilhah and Zilpah. And he was the favorite one. He was the one chosen to have the birthright. Uh, the other brothers pretty much had disqualified themselves at a place called Shechem. You can read about that in chapter 34. Terrible crimes they committed. And Jacob was vulnerable to plain favorites because he was a favorite son of his mama. She, Rebecca, his mother, played favorites. He's the son of Isaac. And Isaac played favorites with his brother Esau. And so it's a dysfunctional family. He is the, um, Joseph is the grandson of Isaac, the great-grandson of Abraham. He's 17 years old, and he's a shepherd with his brothers, raising livestock. And one day he tattled on the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah for something he thought was inappropriate. And their names are Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher. And of course, their brothers were not happy with the fact that the little brother was the favorite. It was obvious that Israel, Jacob, loved him more than them to the point he made him a little uniform, a coat of many colors. This is the special one. They hated him and spoke to him harshly. And then he began to have dreams of leadership and them following his leadership, bowing down to him. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He even included his parents in that endeavor. His mother, Rachel, had already passed, so no doubt Leah took her place. Jacob kept it in mind, but the brothers envied him. So there was sibling rivalry going on. This is common to the human experience. I understand sociologists say 45% of America's citizens are estranged from their siblings for one reason or another. There's a parable of a of a brother that lived across a river from his brother, and he was estranged from him, upset. They were twins. It's actually a true story. One went on to be a lawyer. The other one went on to be a businessman. And the lawyer would ask the businessman, how come you make more money than me? Well, the businessman worked harder to keep up with his brother when they were growing up. The dad didn't play favorites, but he would challenge him. How, can't you, how come you can't get A's like your brother when one of them got a B? And so at one point when their father was aging, uh, the lawyer thought the businessman was dropping the ball in 
helping take care of their old dad. And of course, that severed the relationship. And the businessman didn't know what to do about it. The lawyer didn't know what to do about it. And one day, one of them approached the other one and told the story of a parable that someone had paid a carpenter to build a fence along the border between him and his brother. And the carpenter misheard and built a bridge instead. And he said, I'm here to build a bridge. And the relationship was mended. And so my prayer is that not only do we hear testimonies of healing, but testimonies of healing relationships. You know, Christ came and performed many miracles, did he not? He came to people in need. A miracle, you know, where are all the miracles at? Well, where are all the needs at? That's where miracles are needed. We don't want to have those needs, right? But we want miracles. Well, the two go hand in hand. So he did many miracles, healed many bodies, but he gave commands that healed relationships. Do good to those that use you. Pray for those that curse you. Forgive so that you'll be forgiven. So his words heal relationships. He cares about the whole man, not just me, myself, and I, but me, myself, and you. He cares about that. And the closer we get to him, the closer we get to one another. Can I get an amen? amen. So back to the story. So here this favorite son is, hated by his 10 older brothers, envied, and uh, they had taken their father's livestock to Shechem, of all places, that's where the atrocities happen in chapter 34, to feed them there. Jacob was concerned about him, and he sent Joseph to go check on him, because uh, Joseph would tell if things were inappropriate, but also he was concerned you know, because they had, the atrocity included them killing all the men and plundering Shechem. And so here they are feeding their livestock near there, and it's, it's a dangerous area. Well, he took the journey 50 miles away. They were in Hebron. He went up to Shechem, didn't find them, spoke to someone who knew where they were, Dothan, about 17 more miles away. So this was quite a journey for a 17-year-old boy. So no doubt he was reliable and not just a spoiled brat. And so he goes to Dothan and finds him. Well, they see him coming afar off, and they know it's him because of his coat. No doubt it's him. And they made a plan to kill him. I mean, they were really upset. Why didn't they just give him a haircut he didn't want? <laughs> they gave a conspiracy to kill him. Well, Reuben, the oldest persuaded them, let's not kill him yet. Let's put him in this pit. They found an empty cistern, no water in it. Let's drop him in there. And then he hoped to go back later and rescue him and get him back home to dad and tell dad, you know, we've got a problem. Let's keep him away. But, and then Reuben, being the responsible older brother, went on to do something else. And while he was gone, the brothers ate together with their brother in a pit. I mean, how can you work up an appetite? I guess it's hard work kidnapping and imprisoning your little brother. So they're eating. And these spice traders came by. There's a, a road from spice land over there down in the southern Arabia that comes up along the coast through Canaan called the Spice Trail. And 
it's ironic that these particular spice traders happened to be Midianites and Ishmaelites. They were their cousins. Ishmael was their great uncle, and so was Midian. Midian was one of the six sons that Keturah, Abraham's second wife, had for him after Sarah died. And so they paid 20 pieces of silver for him. Now, I don't know about you, but traders want to make a profit, don't they? So they're going to have to walk this boy against his will, keep him in chains, all the way to Egypt where they're going to sell their spices and they're going to sell him. So they want to make a profit, don't they? I wonder what they sold him for. I don't know. I know Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, which at the time was the price of the slave. So maybe 20 pieces of silver was wholesale. I don't know. But back to our story. Reuben is highly upset when he discovers his brothers had outsmarted him. It was a family of deceivers. I wonder where they got that from. And so they took the coat of many colors that they had ripped off their brother and dipped it in blood, took it to their dad and said, do you think this belongs to your son? (laughs) They didn't even say Joseph. And Jacob sees a bloody coat and goes all to pieces, believes a lie, hook, line, and sinker, totally deceived. There was no body, just a bloody coat. Have you ever fallen apart over believing a lie? You heard a rumor that wasn't true. You lost your mind because somebody told a big one. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's just a bloody coat. Got a bad report from a doctor? Don't put your faith in what you see. Keep your heart in what you believe. Jacob lost it and was bitter for decades over this, believing something that wasn't true. But God, who's a great redeemer, used this whole spectacular, John Piper calls this a spectacular sin, (laughs) turns it into a spectacular act of redemption. That's the Lord in which we live. The world knows about this story and has done some strange things with it, like create a Broadway musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. He had dreams, and he had a coat of many colors. The dreams had nothing to do with the coat, although the coat did point to leadership. My sister made her version of the coat of many colors out of men's neckties. Sewed them together. Wanda Brookshire heard the idea and sketched that out for her. And based on Wanda's sketches, She made this amazing coat that she wears when she preaches on the story of Joseph. There's a church, in fact, my brother-in-law's funeral was at a church in Baytown, Texas, called Coat of Many Colors, (laughs) pointing to the redemption that came from all this. One day, Joseph, who lost his coat of many colors, would wear royal robes as prime minister of Egypt. At the Arboretum in Dallas is an amazing display of sculptures from Zimbabwe. You can actually meet the sculptures. They're there working. And this masterpiece they called Joseph's Coat. So the whole world 
knows about this story. And I believe this story relates to the gospel. We're on a journey through Genesis, looking at the life of Jesus, prophetically portrayed in this, in chapter-sized bites most of the time. The roots of the gospel come from this book. Let me ask you the question. When the first church came into existence, they spread the gospel across the Roman Empire, did they not? They did not have the New Testament to preach the gospel from. They had the Torah. They had the book of Genesis. <laughs> and synagogues were across the empire, so there were copies there. And they were able to, to preach the gospel from this. And this is what we're doing in this series. So today's title is going to be History Becomes His Story. But first I want to talk about Jesus and Joseph. Jesus and Joseph. Joseph in Genesis and Jesus in the Gospels. In Genesis, Joseph is a shepherd, and Jesus in the Gospels is the good shepherd. Joseph is beloved of his father, and of course, Jesus is beloved of the father. More than once, an audible voice from heaven spoke, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He lived with his father before Egypt. And Christ lived with his Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God before coming to earth. He was hated by his brothers because of Jacob's special love for him and for his words. And Christ was hated by his brothers, his Judean brothers, <laughs> because he claimed God to be his Father and for his words, which often rebuked them for unbelief or hypocrisy or whatever. Joseph predicted his future leadership, his future authority. Christ proclaimed his present and his future authority, and it just irritated people to no end. Pilate asked him, are you a king? And he said, you say, rightly, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers. Christ was sent by his father to the lost sheep of Israel. For God so loved the world that he gave or sent his only begotten son. He was the focus of a murder plot, so was Jesus. He had an unbelieving family. They weren't into the the leadership that was going to be theirs. They weren't into the idea of them bowing down to him. But the day came, we'll see in the series, it actually happened. And Christ came to an unbelieving world that rejected him to the point of putting him to death. Talk about a bloody coat. Try a bloody corpse. It wasn't just a rumor. It wasn't just an assumption made. It actually happened. And Joseph in Genesis was mocked as the master of dreams. Your Bible probably says, here comes the dreamer. But in Hebrew, they call him the master of dreams, which means Baal, or God, or Lord, Chalam, the Lord of dreams. What does that have to do with Jesus? Well, Jesus didn't talk about his dreams, but he cast out demons. And they couldn't do that. They said, well, you are casting out demons by Beelzebub. In fact, 
in Mark, they said, you're possessed by Beelzebub, which means the master or the lord of flies. The label they had for him. And you want to follow it to its ultimate conclusion, knowing how flies are, they were insinuating he was the lord of dung. They were calling him four-letter word. Joseph was stripped of his coat. Christ was stripped of his clothes. Joseph was betrayed by Judah and his brothers, sold them into slavery. Judah came up with the idea. Christ was betrayed by Judas and handed over to the Judeans by the Romans who crucified him. The Romans did. He was sold to cousin spice traders for 20 pieces of silver, and access to Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, Matthew 26, 15. And finally, Joseph's coat was stained with goat's blood and then presented to his father. Christ's blood was presented to the Father as a sin offering from our Savior and scapegoat. Beautiful parallel. There's the offering of the scapegoats at one form of Hebrew worship where they took two goats and imputed the sins of the people upon them, offered one as a sacrifice, took the other one out in the wilderness to die by itself. Christ died outside the camp as our scapegoat. He bore the blame for our sins. Beautiful picture of redemption. That, I think, Joseph comes pretty close to revealing it. Both Joseph and Jesus went through sufferings and betrayal. Both were tempted, and they forgave those who sinned against them. Both are saviors. If it wasn't for Joseph, the Hebrew nation would have perished due to a famine. The world, as it were, as well. And, of course, Christ died to save the world. Joseph saved his family and that part of the world from famine. Our Lord saves all those who believe and repent, and both saw their painful situations transformed. Can you say redemption? Joseph's sinful horror, after causing much pain, would eventually result in saving the very brothers who sinned against him as well as a whole household of Israel. And the day would come after his father died, the brothers thought, he's, he's going to get us now. Dad's out the way. And now he forgave him. He said, you did it for evil, but God did it for good. And we say God is in control. Jesus' sinful horror, after causing him much pain, eventually resulted in saving the very people who sinned against him, as well as finish the work, finishing the work needed to save the world. Now, anti-Semites love to blame the Jews for killing Jesus. They'll call them Christ killers. How dumb can you get and still breathe in two ways? The Romans killed him. Read your Bible. And number two, if it hadn't happened, none of us would have any hope of eternal life. And number three, it's all been forgiven. What are we doing holding a grudge, taking up an offense? It's just dumb. 
All right, let's move on. History becomes his story. Redemptive history is his story. Now, there's a lot of atrocities going on in the world that one day will be redeemed on Judgment Day. But in your life and my life and the lives of God's people on the earth, redemption is taking place. Don't tune out. Don't check out. Don't cut things off. Hold on. Stand in faith. It's all going to work out one way or the other. It's going to create something absolutely beautiful. You're going to look at it and be awestruck at the beauty of God. Years ago, my brother-in-law came to see me, and we were eating at Vaughn's Catfish. Used to be on the bluff overlooking the lake. They had the best green tomato relish you've ever had. It was awesome. You hungry yet? And he asked me how the church was doing, and I said, man, I'm trying to get down to the bottom of, of division. You know, there's some division going on. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it, and yada, 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 yada. He said, let me caution you to not do that. Find where you can tie things off, and don't go on witch hunts. Just tie it off. He said, a church is like a beautiful tapestry filled with knots, where over the years, things start to unravel, and so you follow the unraveling to the source as best you can, and you reconcile things and tie a knot. And if it happens again, you tie a knot. He says, years from now, your church will be a beautiful tapestry of knots. So folks, you're sitting in amongst of knotty people. (laughs) Amen. Redemptive history is history. I love that song that Big Daddy Weave sings, I am redeemed. Amen. I shake off these heavy chains. I'm not the same. I am redeemed. Christ can redeem horrible stories, absolutely unbelievable horror that people do to one another. He does it. This is the truth. We know that for those who love God, All things work together for good, Romans 8, for those who are called according to his purpose. Don't stop there. you got to read the next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what is the good that all things work together for? That good thing that everything in your life is working together for is what you're predestined for is to conform you and I to the image of Christ. So your history is going to lead to you and I being more like Jesus. Whether it's a mistake you made or a mistake someone else made or a plot someone planned. God's not in heaven wringing his hands. Oh no, what are we going to do? Look what the heathen came up with now like, I can use that. I'll use that. History becomes his story. Hearing and believing his story, the gospel, can and will encourage all who are discouraged by how their story is going or not going. Get your eyes off the problem. Get my mind off my fears and the bloody coats in my life and realize the gospel is the truth and it is the launching pad for everything God is doing in our lives.
Resurrection's coming. Christ is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Death is under his feet. One day it'll be under ours. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? We can be killed, right? That is just a temporary thing, not eternal for believers. The sooner we recognize and honor Almighty God's sovereignty, the more encouraged we will become and remain. I don't want to just become encouraged. I want to stay encouraged. Can I get a big amen? Amen. God is sovereign. He has all authority. He is in control. He doesn't need a checkup from the neck up. He's got it all together. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everything. Even the most vile people. He made them. They're going to be as firewood one day. Or they're going to be an incredible testimony of redemption. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. There are creatures in heaven declaring that, even now, day and night. Read the context. We used to sing this. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things created. Thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. If you allow that to dawn on your heart and get lost in that reality, I'm telling you, depression has to go. It has to lift. Well, you don't know what happened to me. I know I probably can't begin to imagine the horrors you face. The story's not over. History is his story. So get in alignment with him and trust him and walk in step with him. And finally, he is the great life transformer. The gospel itself is the epitome of transformation. Look at how it's described in Romans 5. But the free gift, that's talking about our salvation, is not like the offense. The context of the offense is sin itself. That begins with Adam and his wife eating the forbidden fruit, the act of rebellion, wanting to be God, literally. The free gift is not like that. For if by one man's offense, that's Adam's sin, many died, we're all born in sin because one guy sinned, so one guy messed us up, one guy can fix us up. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of God By the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. So one man screwed us up, one man fixed us up. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift 
which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. What are those many offenses? Abusing the Son of God. Slandering, betraying, robbing, kidnapping, falsely imprisoning, torturing, killing, ending the earthly life of the world's most innocent man. There's no more spectacular sins ever committed on the earth than were committed against him. And yet, what did it result in? Our justification. So our situation, your situation, my condition, is not beyond redemption. You have to have a long-range thought. There have been times in my life I've created such a mess, but I knew by experience God would work it all out. But I would wish I could just get in a time machine and go five years in the future and I'll be fine. Here I am, 2021. Boy, 2016 was a mess. Glad I'm here. But that's not the way God works. He walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. Adam Sandler made a crazy movie that has a message called Click. It's a sci-fi movie. He was given a remote control where he could fast forward through the boring, painful, difficult times of his life. And when he's an old man, he'd missed his children's childhood. <laughs> he'd missed some wonderful times. And obviously, he missed out on life. So life is walking by faith and not by sight. Life is keeping your eyes on Jesus and not on the enemy. Amen? In the long run, sovereign God reigns. You can preach against it, doesn't make it true. You can believe it and walk in light of it and have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your truth. I thank you, Lord, for the gospel. I thank you, Lord, for the amazing story of Joseph. From what we can see, maybe the most righteous man in the First Testament. Thank you, Lord, for his testimony. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for him. And I thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Lord, we can look back and see amazing things that you've done. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory and the honor and praise. And we declare, let's do it together, history becomes his story. Can we do that? Amen. This is a house of healing. Our hearts are full of faith. You have a full attention. You have the Jesus, this is
does such an immaculate thing, you'll be tempted to think he caused it. He's setting me up. Well, truth is, he did set us up. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. Did you know Jesus was set up by the Father? Through the prophet Moses. He spoke to him in Leviticus 24, 13. Let's continue on down to verse 16. Look at this, what God said. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. So blaspheming the name of the Lord, Yahweh is the name there, Yehovah, carries the penalty of capital punishment. So here comes the Son of God, declaring God is his Father, declaring before Abraham was, I am. I mean, what are you supposed to assume from that? You either believed he was who he said he was, 
or you believed he was a blasphemer. And if you believe he was a blasphemer, what does the crime of blasphemy carry? The prescription of capital punishment. God set this up and sent him to the people that desire to obey him. Of course, there was envy involved in there and corruption with the Romans and all kinds of other things. But God set it up. So don't get mad at any kind of Christ killer. You know, don't take it out on the Italians. If he hadn't died, where would you and I be? We wouldn't be part of the household of God. God set it up for unbelief. It's a sin of unbelief that caused it. Unbelief is a sin. That's why we need to trust Him with all of our hearts. Otherwise, unbelief causes us to do all kinds of stuff. Joseph's brothers did not believe his dreams. All they knew was they were jealous of him. They were threatened by him. And they didn't know that he was going to be the greatest thing that ever happened to them. And yet all their efforts to prevent that from happening... <laughs> God used it. Give him a mess, he'll give you a message. Give him a trial, he'll give you a triumph. Amen. Go get him, tigers. Come alive in the name of Jesus.